This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 127. Today I got to hang out with Erin Trelor of Raw Beauty Talks. We dove into the relationship we have with our bodies in the journey to and through motherhood. This is an ever-evolving relationship, and this is a pretty personal episode. I share things about my relationship to my body through this miscarriage journey. If miscarriage is not something you're in a place to hear about right now, this might be one to pause and listen to later. It's a vulnerable, real, and raw episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey, villagers. Today, we get to have a raw conversation with the gal who leads the the world of raw, if you will, from Raw Beauty Talks. Erin Trelor is here to hang out with us and chat about this relationship to our bodies as women and especially throughout the journey of motherhood. And I think it's like an ever-evolving relationship that we're navigating from what our body is or isn't doing or um, our confidence or comfortableness, I guess, comfortability, comfortable. What's the word there? (laughs) This is so, this is the perfect way to start the podcast because I feel like as soon as you're on, on the path to becoming a mom, whether you're trying to get pregnant or you're thinking about kids, it's like we lose a portion of our brain <laughs> in the process. We can't find the words anymore. And certainly after having kids, that's the case for me. So I'm glad that 
I'm glad that you were, you had that moment. That was perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for hanging out with me today, Erin. Can you tell our village a bit about yourself and kind of what brings you here? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it's always such a pleasure to connect with new communities and new women who are having these important conversations out there. My name's Erin. I am the founder of a company called Raw Beauty Co., which exists to support women in feeling confident and calm and connected to their body. I'm a health coach by trade with a background in marketing management. And um, I have had a long journey with my own body and coming to a place of self-love. I struggled with an eating disorder in high school. I was anorexic and admitted into a hospital program, inpatient program for three months in between grades 10 and 11. And that was sort of the springboard into this journey of self-development for me. When I left the hospital, there was, I was at a healthy weight physically, but I was still struggling a lot mentally. And while I never dropped down to an unhealthy weight again, I spent years after that in this dance between restricting what I was eating and trying every diet and doing the wild rose cleanse and all these things. And then on the flip side, I would overeat. I would binge eat usually in secret at night um, and then be left with these insane feelings of shame and guilt around it, which would close the loop back to restricting and being conscious of what I was eating and going to the gym and pushing my body. So throughout this whole process, I really disconnected from my body. I didn't get my period for years. And my overall sentiment was just that my body won't do what I want it to do. My body is not on my team. My body is a disappointment. And I'm ugly. And I'm, I mean, just the the self-criticism that lived inside my head was a really awful place to be. I struggled a bit with anxiety. I think I struggled a lot with anxiety, but it was labeled as an eating disorder. Hmm. And so that's been a part of my journey as well. And um, I'm now, I was told when I was about 18, it was unlikely I'd ever be able to have kids because of the damage that was being done to my organs through this disease that I had, which was the eating disorder. And now I have two kids. I have a two and a four-year-old. I have been pregnant four times. So I had two miscarriages myself, which I know we talked Mm -hmm. about briefly and we'll dive into more. But most importantly, where I am now is at a place where I realize and understand deeply that my body is on my team. Mm -hmm. My body is working for me, not against me. And that the more that I listen to my body and nourish my body and speak kindly about my body, the more that I thrive and the more that it gives back to me. And so in my job, I get to help support other women who are stuck in that space of emotional eating, not feeling good, not feeling confident in themselves. I actually work with a lot of moms-to-be who are like, I've been struggling with this my whole life, and the last thing I want to do is pass this on to my kids. So I want to do the work now before my babe is here or you know, before they get older. And so it's, it's a really special time to get to support women through that. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's so much that you said that I was like, oh, that sounds so nice when like the idea of like really trusting that your body is serving you and and the ability to tune into it and listen to it mm-hmm. um, I think is really hard, especially if you are living with anxiety. You know, our work here is in emotional development and we have this idea that like, oh, you can listen to your intuition, but if it's being served from a place of anxiety, it's really hard to tune into, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, our anxiety or our ego can often appear like our intuition or we think it's our intuition. And that was something I, you know, I, in my own healing journey, I spend a lot of time really starting to practice listening to my intuition and trusting it in my career and in my relationships. And the more that I leaned into that, the more my life unfolded in a really beautiful way. But after having my my daughter, um, Brooklyn, my second child, at about eight months, I was hit with awful postpartum anxiety, panic attacks. And my intuition started telling me, or what I thought was my intuition, that I needed to leave my family, that I couldn't be a mom, that I wasn't in the right marriage. And it felt like my intuition. Um, But whenever I had those thoughts, which are called intrusive thoughts, I learned, um, I would have a very visceral physical response. I would almost start throwing up. My body would start shaking. I couldn't breathe. I would be down on the floor. The panic attack would happen. And so what was interesting about that as I went to therapy to recover from this postpartum anxiety was my body was telling me these thoughts aren't right. My body was telling me like, this is not okay. This is not accurate. And so, you know, if I was really to tune into the wisdom of my body, it was saying, these are, this is not your intuition. This is not aligned. Because when your intuition is speaking to you, it comes from a place of calm and groundedness. And, um, and it's, it's logical. It makes sense, right? Like when you start to add up all of the facts, as to why your intuition's telling you this, it makes sense as to why that would be the case. For me, there was no reason for me to all of a sudden not be a mom, for me to all of a sudden leave my family. So it's it's an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. And, you know, as we we do work in reparenting, I'm actually interviewing uh, Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist today to dive deeper into this, but we are we know that our present is informed by our past, right? That we're mm-hmm. coming to the table with social programming and from the media messaging that we have consumed all throughout our lives to what was modeled in our homes to what we have consumed from our peers or our friend groups throughout life. And I, we're starting to see a shift in this. Uh, and I think that's rad. And I think we can't ignore the fact that we have, for many of us, decades of social programming that isn't in alignment with the shift we're seeing now. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and that social programming is coming at us from all different angles. And media is by no means even close to being perfect right now. So these are deep-seated beliefs that we carry about what our body should look like, how we should show up in the world as women, how we should show up as moms. And, and so the work to re 
plant those seeds or reparent that inner child, however you want to look at it, it takes time and it takes, it takes energy and there's no quick fix for that stuff, right? So often when we are struggling with our body, and it, it makes sense that we do this, but we look for the quick fix. We want the juice cleanse or we want the intermittent fasting for six weeks and then our body will do what we need it to do. We use and treat food as if food is the issue and that our body is the issue. And so a lot of the work that I do is about helping women identify what the real problem is, what the real issue is. And usually that comes down to a lot more about the emotions that they're feeling, the discomfort around feeling those emotions, trauma from the past, not living in alignment with their true values and who they really are, being afraid to, to do the job that they really want to do or to you know, decide that maybe they don't want kids, but it feels like there's so much pressure to and they're heading down that path. And so you know, we, we love to change our body and control our food or stuff our feelings down with food, hoping that that will solve the pain that we're feeling. And really when the healing starts and when we really start to feel good in our body and connected to our body is when we start to identify the deeper stuff and address the deeper stuff which often isn't as complicated as people think. They're like, oh man, I'm going to have to go on this crazy deep dive and do a total 360 on my whole life. And, and it is very rarely the case. It's very rarely the case that that has to happen. Yeah. I think that that's huge to know and that it isn't, there isn't a quick fix. Right. And I, I find myself right in that too, especially like through this last miscarriage after the first one, I went for sure into like, okay, what food do I need to be consuming or not consuming? How did I essentially cause this to happen was really at the root of that. And Mm -hmm. so how can I prevent it from happening again? And then in this miscarriage, that was totally different than the first one and, and really drawn out as like a four month process. It started in February and it ended in May. Mm. January 31st was like the day we found out the babe wasn't alive and it wasn't done until May. And in that process, I like really, I was working at home birth midwives that I loved and I really wanted to be able to trust that my body could miscarry this babe. Yes. And it did part of the job. And then a few months in through like monitoring HCG levels and seeing that it wasn't going any lower. And uh, then we opted, I opted to do a DNC after like months of waiting for my body to do this. And the DNC for me, I was saying this in therapy recently, that it, it had felt like a concession, like my body had failed to do this. And so now I have to help it along because it doesn't know what it's doing. It can't even miscarry correctly. Mm. It was like the narrative in my head, right? And we, when I put this call out saying I was going to do this podcast episode and was asking our village, you know, what comes up for you? We heard a lot of stories about miscarriage and the relationship to the body and then birth. And did I have the birth I was hoping to have or imagined having and the relationship to the body in that process? And then through breastfeeding and like, was I able to do, right? It's just on, go on. There's so much that we can set expectations around in regards to our body and what it should do and how we should show up. It is exhausting. You know, if we, 
if we take that perspective of here's the expected result for you body. Here's how you should get pregnant. Here's how you should miscarry. Here's how you should look as a pregnant person. Here's how you should, what your craving should be. The list goes on and on and on. What if we change that dialogue to one that is a little bit softer on our body that says, you are doing amazing things. You are looking after me. You know when that babe is going to be ready to come out into the world and when it is time for it to go to heaven or whatever your belief system is around that. Mm -hmm. You are looking after that baby and you are looking after me and you're doing your best in a foreign situation, right? You know, when you think about this miscarriage, it's so valid that you have all of these feelings. Miscarriages are incredibly hard. So I don't want to, like, there's nothing wrong with the way that you're feeling at all. But can we shift the dialogue a little bit to understanding your body's actually, like, never had to navigate this or it's done it very few times Mm -hmm. and every pregnancy is different and maybe it did just need that support and thank goodness we have medical systems that can support this now and Mm -hmm. can help the process along and we just have to breathe into um that knowing and work away at it because if you're not there yet, it can feel like you're just lying saying that or that right. it's not accurate. So what I would say is try to find something that some sort of belief that is more empowering versus limiting, but that feels true, that feels yeah. true to you and start there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I wanna show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, it reminded me of this story. I'm going to botch this, but the like the God story of I'll help you out and like I'll send you stuff when you need it. And the person's like in the rainstorm and somebody offers an umbrella. They're like, no, God's going to take me out of this, whatever. And like waiting for all these things and <laughs> all these helpers keep showing up. And then yes. they get there and they're like, where were you? God's like, I sent you all these things. <laughs> and it reminded me of that, of like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the DNC was there, right? The like supportive midwife was there, the therapist was there, and all these tools that were supportive along the journey. I think one thing too that uh, I think is really important as we're looking at our bodies is the access to support. And I think that this is something that more conversation needs to happen around of, I know you're in Canada and I'm in the States and our podcast is in over a hundred countries in the world. So there's going to be people who have different access to healthcare depending on where they are. But one of the things here, I know like having this miscarriage costs thousands of dollars and that's Mm -hmm. not something that everyone has access to. Right. And um, same with looking at like birth and breastfeeding support and helping our bodies and supporting our bodies there. I I think there's this messaging that like everybody is on the same page and that's just not true. No, I mean, I feel so lucky to be in Canada because all of our healthcare is covered. So for the most part, unless you decide to opt to do something privately, because there's wait times that are long, that doesn't have to be a thought for mm-hmm. us. And I think that is so, we are just so lucky and so privileged to have that access because when it comes down to it, yeah, most women can't afford and most families can't afford a few thousand dollars to support themselves through this, or they go into debt because of it. Yeah. And the fact that women aren't fully supported and something that is so natural and that is a part of life and a part of growing communities and a part of sustaining life on earth is it, it doesn't make sense in my mind, but it is the reality of the situation. And it just adds another layer of stress into all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is here in the States, a socioeconomic and racial issue for sure that we, whether you have to go back to work earlier, do you have access to support or um, food that fuels your body, et cetera, to be able to tune into your body, to be able to help it do what your, maybe what your goals were, what you feel like it's telling you it wants to do. Do you have access to do that? Absolutely. I mean, that is a, uh, an entire conversation in its own right. And so much of the things as we're going through this moment right now, and I'm learning so much about my own white privilege and about how to better support the black communities and communities of all colors. And in Canada, there <clears throat> we have our own systemic issues around race and um, in particular with the Japanese. And there's just 
there's so much opportunity for growth in, in the wellness world in general, whether it's in healthcare or in the work that I do or in the fitness apps that are out there and access to all of these things. The wellness world is a white world. And a lot of and I'm I'm not saying that is in the way that's the way it should be. It it is yeah. a conversation I had with um, Melise, who's the founder of Well and Good, and there is with a lot of wellness things when you're looking at Goop, when you're looking at these other companies, a lot of products and wellness that are not accessible to a lot of people, and where white privilege benefits the most from these practices and and a lot of these tools. And so it's not to say that the tools shouldn't be available, but how do we make them more accessible to a greater community of women so that we can all thrive and so that we can all um, have a little bit more opportunity to look after ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I think that part of doing that is really valuing different bodies other than like the one body that you're going to see portrayed as like the ideal body that you're supposed to, I'm putting this in quotes, have Mm. or strive to have or how you're supposed to show up. And this is something that really drew me to your Instagram account was representation of more bodies that look like mine that I didn't see growing up. Or I remember the first time that I saw cellulite on my legs and I was 12 years old and I can picture myself standing in front of a mirror and I was an athlete and like Mm. pulling my leg up to try and make it go away and trying to figure out like, how do I make it go away? And as a 12 year old kid who's an athlete and living in a white body, that's already the one that's like portrayed as ideal. Right. So Mm -hmm. already within my privilege, still looking and saying, "Um, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. And I think a huge part of like shifting things like the apps, like the access is, will include shifting these quote unquote ideals of what health looks like and what beauty and confidence and sexiness looks like. Yeah. And I think this is a great piece of social media. There's obviously a lot of challenges with it, but one of the things that is so important to remember about social media and about your social media feed is that you are the curator of it. You decide what is the incoming content and you decide as well what you post out there. So if there is an area that you're struggling with, or if there's something that is triggering to you, or if there's something that you want to learn more about, you get to decide what you're seeing on your feed. So I would encourage everybody who's listening right now to do a social media detox, to go through your feed, to ask yourself, what is my purpose with this account? What is it that I want to gain from this account? And what is it that I want to give from this account? And from there, you can start to look at, you know, am I including diversity within my feed? Am I seeing the types of bodies that make me feel more at home in my own body? Am I hearing stories that make me feel more normal and more human? Am I hearing like the real raw things or am I just seeing the perfect Pinterest squares all over the place. For some people, they might want to feel inspired and they might want to see, you know, beautiful homes because they love home decor or makeup tips because they love the process of putting on makeup and and the creativity behind that. Maybe you love baking, but figure out your social media why. And then get ruthless in creating a feed that really feeds your soul. And then also 
really consider what it is that you're putting out there and whether or not it is in alignment with you. And from there, from that space, once you're clear on those things, social media is a beautiful tool for connection and inspiration and creativity. And, um, and it has a profound ability to up level your life. And so I don't think social media is bad. I think we just have to be a lot more aware of how and conscious of how we're using it. Yeah. And I think it's rad that we're seeing more folks able to, or, or confident enough in showing their bodies that aren't the bodies that at least I grew up seeing as like the one you're supposed to strive for, you know, mm-hmm. but like that has become something that's more accessible to find on Instagram or, or Facebook within yeah. the feeds. Yeah. We spend all of our time finding those women and showcasing them and showcasing different bodies. And I've had people in the past say, I feel like you don't show up on your feed. Like you just repost other people's bodies. And that's been an in- interesting process for me because of two things. First of all, I'm 5'11 and naturally have a relatively thin body. So in this conversation, but let's just back up for a second. Despite that, despite having a body that media would define as being pretty, like a, yeah. stand, a stereotypical form of beauty, uh, I had incredible struggles based on the way that I looked, based on the cellulite on my thighs, and based on the fact that as women, our bodies, even if you're 5'11", and I'm not going to say my weight because that can be triggering to people, but even if you're 5'11 and and relatively thin, you will never be thin enough. You will never be perfect enough. You will never be good enough. And so this is the thing. It doesn't matter how close you get to that perfection of beauty. You will never be enough as a woman. So we have to stop striving for that target that we will never reach that is literally just distracting us from from focusing on our skill sets from developing our strengths from finding our strength as women and as individuals i mean this is obviously as well a time where we're working towards which is unbelievable that we're still working towards it equal pay and yet we're also spending our money on cellulite creams and not feeling comfortable going out in shorts because we're embarrassed about the way that our bodies look. We're being distracted. And as a result, we're falling out of our power. And until we can stop striving for this impossible standard, we will continue to be distracted and we will continue to be held back. So I learned that very early on that there was no perfect and that I would never be that. And so let's focus on what you're good at and developing those skills and and working and leaning into that. So when I started Raw Beauty Talks initially, it started as an interview series where I wanted to talk to women about their experience with food, their bodies, confidence, self-love, uh, what their thoughts were on plastic surgery, all of these things, all the things that weren't being talked about in magazines. And we photographed every woman without photo editing, filters, or makeup. And this was before, like Dove obviously was a big brand doing this, but it wasn't this wave of body positivity and things hadn't started yet. And so that's initially how Raw grew and that campaign went a bit viral. It was never about me 
showing my face over and over again. It was about the conversations of other women and seeing diversity. And I wanted to see wrinkles and I wanted to see different sizes so that I could feel more comfortable in my own imperfections. And we photographed the women in really beautiful ways so that we could also see just how beautiful our real raw selves are. So Raw's feed has always been about amplifying different forms of beauty. On the flip side, very young, very early on in this whole journey, I sat down with a mentor about, you know, growing and and the different pieces of our business. And he said to me, I just have to say, I don't really think that you can have this conversation with women. Women, you're tall and thin. Like no woman is going to want to listen to you talk about this stuff. And I had not even considered this. All I knew was my own struggle and my own pain and the pain I knew other friends of mine were having. It did not even cross my mind. But him saying that planted a seed of belief within me that nobody would want to hear from me, that nobody would listen to somebody like me in my body, and that I didn't get to have a voice in this conversation. So if you go to our feed now, you'll see I'm showing up more, but it's still a journey because I feel a bit out of place, even though I am full of imperfections, even though I could list them all day long for you because of the comments that people said. And the only reason I'm sharing this is because I would love to encourage women right now to think about perhaps something that somebody has said to them at some point in the journey that holds them back from showing up fully in their life. Whether that was the bully in elementary school who said you had big legs, or whether that was the parent who said you couldn't do that career, or whether that was the friend who made the comment, or media that said you don't get to have a voice. What are the labels that you know perhaps somebody has put on you or placed within you that are no longer serving you or that are keeping you playing small? And then you have to choose whether you're going to continue to sit in that space or whether you're going to rip that label off and break through the box and start to show up. Because all of these labels that we put on ourselves, I'm too skinny, I'm too white, I'm too black, I'm too tall, I'm too skinny, I'm not athletic, I'm not smart enough. They're all just keeping us small. They're all just there to prevent us from really showing up in the big way and in a way that feels good in life. And so I would encourage you to take a moment to think, what is that label for you? We all have them. And is it serving you anymore or can you break through it? I'm curious to know what kind of pops to mind for you. Does anything come to mind? Oh my gosh. So many things came to mind. Uh, yeah. And, and, and actually this story for me I, right now, I'm in this, I just said to Zach, my husband the other day, I was like, I felt like I had gotten a handle on like what it felt like for me to feel healthy, like how, like moving my body or eating foods that had been fueling me before trying to get pregnant. And then through this miscarriage, like there were long chunks of time where if I did, if I lifted a laundry basket, my body would start to hemorrhage. And so I had to like totally change how I was showing up in my day to day. Yeah. And I'm now living in a body that feels new to me 
that I was saying, I don't know if this is what like healthy for this season is for me yeah. um, or not. Like I'm trying to figure out like, what does that look, what does it look like to nourish myself in this season? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a huge part of the motherhood journey in general that like, you, you're not going to like three months postpartum be in the same body that you were in prior to getting pregnant. And no. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the body you're in. It means that nourishing that body in that season is different, right? And I, so for me, that came up and I, oh my gosh, I had this like flash to, you were like, what did somebody say to you? One of the things I think is really helpful is hearing from voices like yours, who media does typically put on a pedestal as like an ideal. And there's somebody in my life who I, growing up and all through life was like this is the most beautiful human to walk the planet and then <laughs> yes. at one point we were um in bathing suits together going to like be at a pool and before we went out she asked she had kiddos she was wearing a high-waisted um, bathing suit all week and then was going to be wearing a bikini that would show her stomach and she said do you think that this is too much for people to see and I at the time was like in full shock. So I was like, you're the most beautiful human to walk the planet. Like, what do you mean you're nervous about people seeing part of your body? Like that to me was like, what? Like she's insecure in her body. I, like I'm never going to look like her. Not only do we have totally different body types and skin colors and all yes, everything. totally different yeah. humans. I literally will never look like her, but also it was like, I'm not like, if, if when I get there, if I could get there, if I got there and that was, I'm still going to be insecure. Like, man, that was like an eye opening moment for me of just like the journey isn't to a different body. <laughs> no, it's, it truly, it truly isn't. And I love what you said earlier about trying to figure out what feels right for your body now, because so often we, will feel like, okay, we've made it. We've figured out our body. We know what we should eat. We know how to move. And then of course your body's going to change as you're going through different stages of your life. Of course, you're going to need different foods to fuel you. Of course, you're going to even season to season, we need different things, right? Like in the winter, we start to crave warmer foods and gentler forms of exercise and the sun goes down earlier. So we need to sleep more. And then in the summer and spring, we feel more vibrant and alive. And so our body, the needs of our body are going to shift day to day for women month to month and week to week as we go through our cycles, through the seasons, through different decades, through periods of grief in our life, periods of anxiety, our pregnancies, having our babies. So we've got to let go of this expectation of just reaching a final destination within our health and wellness. That is a practice of checking in daily with your body and seeing where it's at and what it is craving and what would nourish it and what feels right. And that can feel really scary for a lot of women because they've lost connection with their body and they don't trust their body. And so they feel the need to have a lot of rules and a lot of rigidity and a, a workout schedule and something to basically control their body to remain where it is. And the, 
the issue with doing that, while it can create a feeling of safety and comfort, is that we disconnect from what our body needs. And when we disconnect from what our body is asking for and what our body needs, we're essentially no longer listening to our body. But from the moment you're born, and anyone who's listening right now who's had a young little babe, your body was designed to help you thrive, not only to survive. Your body tells a young baby when it's hungry to cry, when it's tired to sleep, when it's time to go to the bathroom, when it's full, when it's cold, and when it's hot, the most basic things, right? Those are innate innately within us the way that our body speaks to us. And so when we can, when we disconnect from these things, our body is no longer able to do its job when we're not listening, when, when our body's telling us, I mean, there's so many ways that we do this ladies. Like how many times have you been really fatigued or tired? And instead of saying, I'm going to go to bed earlier tonight, or I'm going to take a quick nap, you have a coffee or two coffees, or you actually end up watching Netflix or scrolling your phone way later. And you wonder like, why am I so tired and da, 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 and yet we don't listen to our body. Or how many times have you been hungry and said, you're not supposed to be hungry right now. We're not eating until noon because we're fasting. Or why are you craving that thing? Stop craving that thing, body. And you should want, why am I, why do I not just want avocado chicken salad all the time? And so we stop listening to our body. And because our body is designed to have us listen to it, it has to speak louder and louder to get our attention. So the body will find different ways to speak to you. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You know, if you're hungry, you start off maybe having a little bit of brain fog or your hands get cold. And the longer you wait to eat, your stomach starts growling. Eventually you'll faint or pass out. 
if you don't eat. Your body is like, listen to me. I'm going to take you down if you don't feed me. If, you know, we're really tired, it might start off, as I mentioned, those feelings of fatigue or brain fog again. And as we get more and more tired, we can start to get as far as hallucinating or, you know, our anxiety can get really intense. That's not your body being bad or broken or wrong. That's your body trying to get your attention to tell you what it needs, to tell you what it needs in order to thrive. So can you remember that your body is on your team? And by listening to it, by tuning in, by honoring what it is asking for, that you will start to find true health and wellness in a way that feels really good. Yeah. And I'd imagine like in being able to do that and to tune in, we could move towards things like feeling proud or sexy or confident within our bodies. At one point, a couple months ago, I was chatting with um, Rach, who works for Seed, is a dear friend. And I was just like, I can't imagine Zach being attracted to this body. Like the idea of that blew my mind because I wasn't attracted to this body. Like I felt it felt so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And I again, I think like that's something that's so common in motherhood is that you're all of a sudden in a body that isn't the one that you've known. And it can, I think it can feel like no way am I going to feel sexy and confident in this. And uh, when I say things out loud that are rude to myself, my husband will say like, please don't talk to my wife that way. And <laughs> I love that. It's so sweet. And I was like, man, what if we also as women did this with each other? Because I've definitely been in circles where we're sitting there and we're talking about like, oh, like we're shaming ourselves and yeah. and going through a cycle that that isn't healthy or uh, moving us in a direction of love and respect for ourselves. and. I wonder what it would look like if we as women would turn that and say like, hey, don't talk to my friend that way. I love that. And I think it is so important finding that voice of self-compassion, speaking to yourself like you would to a friend. And oftentimes women don't even realize the way that they're speaking to themselves. It's just so deeply ingrained in their thought patterns. So the first step there is always noticing when those thoughts start to pop up. And I actually find it helpful. I label it as my fearful friend, those Mm -hmm. thoughts. So I encourage all of my clients to actually give their fearful friend a name. So I give mine, her name's Becky, which is nothing personal. I just popped into head when the whole Beyonce and like Becky with the good hair (laughs) came in to play. So Becky for me, Um, right now at this stage in my life will show up if I look in the mirror and I feel like I look really tired or I Mm -hmm. notice like, oh, you're getting wrinkles or like da da da. And she'll be like, you should get Botox. Like you should da 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 da. And that's how Becky shows up for me. She's a bit of a perfectionist. She also shows up in areas of my career, like saying women don't want to hear from you. Oftentimes our fearful friend's voice comes from things we've heard as kids or in, or throughout our life. And so what I'll do is I'll actually just talk back to Becky. And I remember that she's coming from a place of fear. So Becky's not evil. She's not bad. She's, that's why I call her fearful friend. Mm -hmm. Becky wants me to belong. 
Becky wants me to be loved. She wants me to be supported. She doesn't want to ruffle too many feathers. So she always pops up when I'm at risk of potentially losing those things, right? Like when the forehead wrinkles and my 11 between my eyes are really strong, she's like, holy shit, you're getting old and society's not going to accept you anymore. Like get some Botox girl. And so I just have to and it's real. Like those, those thoughts really pop up for me, even though I do this work. Becky never fully leaves, I don't think, our mind, but we can get a lot better at quieting her. And we, one of the ways that we do that, for me, I just I imagine almost my life being like a car. And when Becky pops up, I imagine Becky as being in the driver's seat of the car of my life. So Becky is deciding the volume on the stereo. She's deciding if the windows are up or down, what speed we're driving, whether we're turning left down that street or right down that street. And I, when I think about what Becky says in those moments, like, you know, you're getting, you're getting old, you have wrinkles, like your skin is so bad right now. For a long time, Becky was like, you're so fat. That cellulite is so gross. Da, 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 da. All the things that our fearful friend says for, for me, that doesn't pop up much anymore, but Um, there's always something, right? And I think about where is Becky driving the car of my life? Like if Becky's going to remain in the driver's seat right now, where is she steering my car? And am I happy with that final destination? The answer is always no for me because Becky is not a risk taker. She doesn't make big, bold movements. She would be like working the job that is safe, but is expected. She wouldn't be speaking out about the things that matter. She would be obsessing about her appearance every second and spending all of her time worried about that versus doing the work that I'm doing. So Becky doesn't get to be in the driver's seat of my car for very long at all. If she pops in there, I swiftly move her to the back seat where she can't control any of the dials, where she doesn't get to pick the volume, where she doesn't choose what we're having. If we go through the McDonald's drive-through, she is in the back seat. I haven't found a way to completely remove her from the car. And I don't think we can completely because we need some fear in our life to prevent us you know, from running out on the highway or to maybe make us think about things a little bit more, but she doesn't steer. She doesn't get the steering wheel. So when your fearful friend pops up and I would encourage you to give her a name right now and maybe in the comments of this show or send us a DM, let us know what you're naming your fearful friend. Just notice that she's there. Ask yourself, is she driving the car where I want it to go? And then ask her to get in the back seat. Let her know you understand why she's scared. You understand why she's afraid. But that that this thought pattern isn't serving you anymore and that you're strong and beautiful and resourceful and that she doesn't need to be so worried. Move her into the back seat and then you do the opposite of what, what your fearful friend is telling you. So if she says, don't apply for that job, you better believe you're going to go apply for that job because you have to start showing your fearful friend who is in control. If she feels like you can't get through this loss, you will not make it through this grief. You're going to show her step by step, little bit by little bit that you are moving forward, that you're going to get out of bed in the morning. You're going to brush your teeth and maybe that's all you do the first day. And then we move a little bit further. If she says your body doesn't get to wear a bathing suit, You're putting on the bathing suit and you're walking right through that fear and you're showing up at the pool. And I know this is not easy work, but the more that we do it, the more freedom we have, the the less power that voice has over us. And the more we really start 
living our life and getting to find that joy and love and success that we're looking for. Yeah. Oh, I love the analogy there. And you like, you're speaking to our village's heart. You said, we talk a lot about reparenting and the inner child voices, they never go away. They're always there to protect us. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, Becky might be afraid that you're going to feel embarrassed or she's afraid that somebody's going to say something to you that makes you feel small. And so she's trying to protect you from feeling that she's saying, don't put on the bathing suit because then you won't be embarrassed. Right. And like, it's so important what you said, like having compassion for her and letting her know I can handle embarrassment. If somebody says something to me or um, makes a snide comment, I can handle that. Yeah, I'm not the 12 year old girl standing in the mirror, pulling up my leg, trying to make the cellulite go away. I have a different toolbox now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Love that toolbox. So, um, add that, yeah, add that to the, add that to the box and, you know, these things all resonate differently with different people and different tools will work with different people. But I hope even just being able to identify that fearful friend and why it is that she's so afraid and then recognizing that you can do hard things that you don't have, that you get to go to the beach, you get to go to the pool, you get to go after that job or start that business or be in the relationship or date just as you are right now, just as you are right now, you are enough. I love it. Where can people connect with you, Erin, if they want to dive deeper into your content and work? They can find all of our resources, links to our podcast, my coaching, um, our original interview series at rawbeauty.co. And then I'm also on Instagram at rawbeautytalks and I'm on there lots. I love, love, love getting messages from our community. So I would ask anybody who's listening right now to pop over there, send me a DM with your biggest aha moment from this interview, because I love knowing sort of what resonates and what is sticking with people and also having the chance to say hi, as you know, it's, we do a lot of these conversations as podcast hosts and recording into a microphone and posting out on social media. And for me, all of that feels very empty without actually getting to connect with the community who's listening and the people who are behind the likes. So it would mean the world to me to have that dialogue start. So slide into my DMs, please. I love that. <laughs> I love it. And don't worry, they will. Our village loves to hang out in DMs. <laughs> Good. Get on over. Get on over here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today and having this very necessary conversation and for doing the work that you do. Thank you so much for creating a space for us to have this conversation. And I'm sending you all the love on your journey and reminding you, as you already know, but that all those feelings are valid and that you are so strong and yeah, day by day. Thanks, yes, babe. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. 
If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.